Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Covington playing Levine, topside three ball, bam! Onions, baby onions! Zach Levine in the Bulls! Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Levine to White, this time he gives it to Williams for three. The rookie! The Pumpa! What a shot! Host Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 score scope. Yep. Where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Are you flat out kidding me? Matt Peck used to do a great job with the Bulls Outsider Show. Now he's doing Locked on Bulls. There he is, human foreburn. Oh, don't mess with the pooch. But watch this crossover. Bulls bird of free league ghost. So kick back. I'm not. Relax. And get ready for the best hour of your day. Uh, you know, I'm not. You can just see the vibe. And these guys are men. Locked on Bulls starts now. I love it. Pass to Levine with a right-handed jackhammer slam. Oh, my goodness, that was filthy. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. I'm getting out the dancing shoes. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us at 331-979-1369. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Go download the Locker Room app right now, Android, iOS. We're going to do a Locker Room tomorrow afternoon, so make sure you go create a profile and uh, download the app and make sure that you join us for our weekly locker room tomorrow. We're going to do mailbag as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Go download the app right now. Matt, how are you? Um, Tuesday. Today, we're one day closer to the NBA offseason, but I started to think again, and maybe I'm just going back and forth, but I started to think again, there might be a couple of avenues for the Bulls to make things interested, interesting, at least to the weekend. But first and foremost, how are you, man? Jordan, what's going on, man? What's up, Bulls Nation? Um, I mean, you're not wrong. There are some mathematical paths to the Bulls sneaking into this play-in situation. I wouldn't describe them as likely. Um, In fact, I would describe them as very extremely, would take several miracles unlikely. Just to give you a quick glimpse of what the Bulls need here in their final four games. So if the Bulls go 4-0, and win out, beat the Brooklyn Nets twice, beat the Milwaukee Bucks, beat the Toronto Raptors. They also would need then the Pacers to go 1-3 and or the Wizards to finish 1-2 and or they could even have the Hornets go 0-4 and, and the Hornets drop out or the Bulls can go 3-1 and in their final four needing the Pacers to lose out 0-4 or the Wizards to lose out 0-3. Any scenarios other than those, and the Bulls are out. So, uh, I, you know, the, the Brooklyn Nets are sitting James Harden tonight, so maybe, I, but, you know, I'm basically anticipating the Bulls' playoff chances are dead with the game tonight. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to really look at this short term, like, try to get to Friday and still be somewhat in the conversation. You got to beat the Nets tonight, and then we can deal with the Nets again this weekend later. But, yeah, with Harden being out. And the Bulls didn't beat the Nets earlier this season when they were, you know, similarly shorthanded. So it's not impossible. 
the problem is, is Washington now has probably the easiest of the three team schedules, right? Uh, they play Atlanta, Cleveland, and Charlotte to finish. The Pacers play four games, and they have them. I think, I mean, between them and the Bulls, it's a coin toss, man. Both schedules are really, really difficult. You got the Lakers, the Raptors, and who am I missing? The Lakers, the Raptors, the uh, Sixers. Sixers tonight. Are you, are, you, are you talking about the Pacers game? Yeah. Pacers games left? Yeah, so they have Sixers tonight, Sixers again later this week. Wait, nope, hold on. That's that's the Sixers schedule. I was like, wow, that's – okay, so Sixers tonight, Bucks, Lakers, and then finish with a cupcake against the Raptors. But there so it is. still, I mean, Philly, Milwaukee, Lakers, That's that's a gauntlet right there. Yeah, and, and every single one of those teams are still fighting for positioning too. Like especially the Lakers. Like the only pretty much throwaway would be Toronto because they're trying to actively lose games. That being said, yeah, like you said, they got to go three and one at the very least. At the very least, you lose two games, you're you're completely out of it. But even even that, like going right. four and zero, oh would still like going four and zero oh for the rest of the week and to finish the season. That could still put you out of the play-in game. How ridiculous would that be? The Bulls going on a seven-game winning streak to finish the season, and they miss the play-in, and then they don't get the lottery pick. It would be classic Bulls, Jordan. That's what it would be. Oh, yeah, let's finish the season on a seven-game winning streak. And that number that seven like popping up idea. again. That number seven popping up again, man. It's like part of this rebuild now, and it's not even a joke because there's just sevens everywhere all throughout this rebuild, whether it's the draft or this possible scenario. But... That being said, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's likely. I, I really don't. Um, but let's see what they can do. I, I mean, these are these. This is four legit opportunities here that the Bulls can at least give their best shot if they do. The the team still wants to be in the play in. So I guess we'll see tonight, right, against Kyrie and KD. Yeah, um, you know, it, it will be a tall task for the Bulls to win, even with no James Harden. Um, and the Bulls have some interesting injury report updates themselves. Questionable is Troy Brown Jr., who has been out for what feels like forever now with that ankle sprain, but also popping up on the injury report is Daniel Tice with a right hip contusion. He is also listed as questionable. Uh, So just knowing what Tice has been giving the Bulls on both ends of the floor every night, that would be a big hit. We'll see, uh, you know, what uh, what those calls are when we get closer to game time tonight. Um, but, you know, the, the the best chance that the Bulls can give themselves tonight is playing with the same intensity on the defensive end that, the, that they have shown us in the last few games that they've been winning, where they've been holding opponents under 100 points per game. I'm thinking to myself, too, and maybe it's not much and I shouldn't read into it much, but is it kind of bizarre, like, the the amount of frequency we see Bulls players over the last couple of seasons have ankle injuries. Like, I know that's more common in the NBA than anything else, like rolling an ankle and being out a week or two, but I just feel like there's been a lot of Bulls players with ankle injuries, whether it be Denzel, whether it be Zach Levine, whether it be Troy Brown Jr. I'm probably missing a couple, too. Um, Gafford. Gafford. I don't know if Paul Zipser did, too, in that first year or not. There's a couple of other players I'm sure we're missing with ankle injuries, but is that anything to read into, or is it just unluckiness? Uh, no, man. I mean, it, it's a pretty common injury in basketball. Uh, you know, whether it be guys coming down on somebody else's, you know, landing on somebody's foot and tweaking an ankle, 
you know, we, we've seen Zach have a couple of scary moments this season where, you know, he's using his crazy burst of speed athleticism to drive to the rim. And, you know, maybe there's a wet spot or a slippery spot on the floor and, you you know, you, you skid and you twist an ankle that way. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any weird, you know, a- ankle conspiracy going on that, that has all these Bulls players dealing with ankle injuries. I just think it's something that happens a lot in the NBA. I'd be interested to like no it's no, it's not anything malicious but I'm curious if there's like a certain type of training that the Bulls do specifically or if it's again just a freak accident because if they're still doing some of the same trainings that they did to whether stay in shape in between games throughout the season or even in the offseason that would be a question and it would be a simple yes or no and then it'd be like okay then it's, it's just really bad luck by the Bulls um, but yeah. Well, the, the one thing we do know is that they can't blame the, the man in the nice sweaters anymore. Jeff, Jeff Tanaka sure. is gone. So. Yeah, that, that, that's for sure. Um, I want to talk to you about Russell Westbrook, though, because he had a historic night last night and somebody that we got to keep our eyes on over the next three day or next week or the next three games. We should do that, Jordan. Before we get to a Westbrook, want to talk to our listeners a little bit more about locker room. You mentioned them in the opening. Today's episode is brought to you by the Locker Room app. It's the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with myself and Jordan, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Jordan and I will be hosting uh, rooms on lock, uh, for Locked On Bulls once a week, and you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day. We're going to be doing some locker room mailbag content some, tomorrow, so stick around for an update on that. Locker room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you on locker rooms, watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and, of course, reacting to big news or rumors. Be sure to join us this week. We'll be hosting a locker room Locked on Bulls mailbag tomorrow, Wednesday. So be there. Check it out. Go download the free locker room app now. And for all of my fellow Android people out there, their first beta version of the locker room app for Android is now available in your Android app store. So go get it. In addition to, of course, being available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. Follow Jordan and myself, same as our Twitter handles, Jordan C. Malley, Bulls underscore Peck, to be notified when we go live in our locker room. I know you won't want to miss it. We'll be, again, doing a locker room tomorrow, Wednesday, with all of your mailbag questions. So hit us up on our mailbag line, 331-979-1369, or you can just ask us questions directly in our locker room. See you there, locker room, changing the way we talk about sports. So let's talk about the historic night that Russell Westbrook has. And honestly, man, this is kind of a historic season for him. Whether you talk about just his career in general or you talk about over the last 20, 25 years since like, if you take it from when I've been alive, the last 25 years, it's a pretty incredible season that Russell Westbrook has put together with the Wizards, not counting the fact that they've missed a bunch of games in the first part of the season. Remember they went like 14 or 17 days without playing a single game and having to make it all up on the backside here. Him and Bradley Beal are just absolutely insane. And I know we've talked about it a couple of different times over the last week or last week or so, but um, yeah, man, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say other than I believed in him last year when we wanted to trade for him. I believe that was still in there. And I wonder how much of it goes back to motivation and and having a fresh start. What did you think about that? What do you think about it in terms of history 
as far as being the most triple doubles ever. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it took this long for anybody to be Oscar Robertson's longstanding record and thinking about how long that dude was playing and putting up his triple doubles. I mean, it was 60 years ago, man. Um, and the other interesting part about it is, you know, I was watching on SportsCenter last night. They were kind of breaking down Oscar's triple doubles versus Russ's. And compared to Oscar Robertson, who had a whole bunch of his career triple doubles in his first couple of seasons in the league. Russ, I think they said he had like eight triple doubles through his first six seasons or something insane like that. And then all of a sudden in the prime and back end of his career, he just started piling these up and piling these up um, and, and chased down that record so quickly. It was nuts flying up the charts. And the other, you know, the thing that you hear all the time about the the Westbrook, you know, uh, doubters or haters saying, oh, he's a stat patter. The triple-double stat is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And he's just out there padding stats. I, I saw a great tweet. I can't remember who had it. But earlier today, I saw it in my Twitter feed. As far as the whole, like, stat padding and, you know, triple-double don't mean anything. I can't remember the exact percentage. But I think it was around in games that Westbrook has a triple-double his team wins 78% of those games. So to say it's a meaningless stat or or stat padding that's not actually helping his team win, I mean, there, there's your proof against that theory right there. If Russ, if Russ registers a triple-double, there is an 80% chance that his team wins that game. It's pretty wild, too. He had a lot better pieces surrounding him in Houston, too. And you just see how like a bad relationship between two players, two teammates, two stars, how much friction that can cause with the Rockets, even with the Rockets bubble run at the end. And like, I know they ended up surviving after James Harden basically disappeared playing offense. The biggest concern with Russell Westbrook was, can the scoring ever come back? And it has, man. And I don't know if that's a testament to playing next to literally the best scorer, if you want to say. Not just three-point shooter, not just shooter, but best scorer in the game in Bradley Beal this season. Obviously, that helps a little bit, but you had the second best or what, top five guy in James Harden as far as scoring ability. I think about that a lot, and that was the biggest question when we talked about him being traded to the Bulls, or potentially, before he had been moved on from Houston. A lot of people brought up the fact that he can't score consistently. I think he's proved everybody wrong there, and I think he's proved everybody wrong that he's not over the hill yet either. I think bouncing back from all of the injuries that he has and the disappointment in Houston, it's crazy what you see from a fresh start and some motivation again, and Russell Westbrook, I think, is the first guy to prove that. And, dude, I don't know if there's anybody that wants to win more than he does. That's a, that's a really good point. I always think about what Michael Jordan has said about Russell Westbrook when he's been asked about players in today's NBA um, because everybody always compares Kobe to Michael and LeBron to Michael. You know, Kobe, five rings, stole a lot of MJ's moves. Look, you know, you put an MJ turnaround fadeaway next to a Kobe turnaround fadeaway, it's the same. Um, and then because of his greatness from day one in the league – and four championships and all of these accolades and stats, people compare LeBron to MJ, even though their games are very different. So those are the two players that are always compared to MJ. Is this guy better than the GOAT, who we all believed after the 90s Bulls run is the best basketball player of all time? And when MJ chimes in, he says, 
you know, when it comes to comparing me to a player that I see on the court right now, I think of Russell Westbrook and that dude's insane, unquenchable desire to go out and dominate a basketball court, to take over every single game, every single night. And does that sometimes lead to people saying, ah, Westbrook, he takes too many bad shots, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, like like the way people talked about MJ when MJ was in his prime and just, you know, averaging 37 points a night because he was taking 37 shots a night and stuff like that. I've always thought about that when you talk about the best ever talking about who out there right now makes you think of you, reminds you of you. MJ has always said Russell Westbrook. That's a good point. I was thinking about the Russell Westbrook experience not being in the in Washington and if things would have went the same this season for him. Like Washington's a perfect opportunity for him, right? They play the style that fits his strengths. It's go out there and score almost 200 points and who cares if you give up 180, right? That's the mentality the Wizards have had this entire season. Not to mention to the the surrounding pieces around him aren't great, but they fit that style again. Whether it be Daniel Gaffer and having a guy that can rim run and having a ton of success like him, Rui Hachimura who can play both sides of the ball and has sort of started consistently scoring, which is cool to see. Those types of things, I wonder, could have that have happened if he went to, say, the Knicks or if he went to Boston or Miami or wherever he was being rumored? Do you think he has the same season that he was having this season with the Wizards? And do you think about that in terms of context over the next maybe three or five years with other stars that are starting to get up there in age and saying, hey, they still got a couple of good years left in them if they find the right opportunity. So I guess start with, do you think he could have yeah. done this outside of Washington? It's a, it's a good question. And I would say yes, because wherever Russ has been, uh, whether it be you know the OKC years with KD and Harden and then with just KD and then the the tail end OKC years where he's, you know, he's playing with Paul George and whoever else, or his stint in Houston and now in Washington, what I have seen from Westbrook is it takes him some collection of games, 20 games, 30 games, half a season, to figure out what the team needs him to be doing. And then he starts doing that every night and doing it really well because the the transition in Houston was rocky. And everybody was saying, oh, my God, Westbrook, this dude's washed. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing on the floor every night. And then, for whatever reason, things started to click. He accepted the role that he needed to play, and Westbrook had a really strong finish in Houston. And I think after kind of an awkward start in Washington, figuring out, okay, how do I play with Beal? How do I play with these pieces? He, despite, you know, age 32, whatever season this is, said, I'm still Russell Westbrook, and if you want me to go out there and put up a triple-double every night – I could do that. So here I go. I'm going to go do that. So to me, if you could put him in Washington or take him out of Washington and put him anywhere else, there will be a transition period where Russ figures out what best way to be used. But once he gets that, like he just takes off. Isn't it funny to think about two future Hall of Fame point guards could not work out with James Harden? in Houston both stints like I get the CP3 thing did work but if you if if your goal was NBA finals it didn't work then and there was some weird I don't know they went and traded him 
There was some weird turmoil towards the end. I wonder if that was the same thing with Westbrook, and it just it fascinates me that that was the sticking point. Is like for whatever reason, couldn't get over the hump in the West and play next to one of the top five players in the league in James Harden. I wonder if it's the commitment to winning and also Russell Westbrook maybe finally realizing and saying, hey, maybe I'll take a back seat this year because I'll listen to somebody like Bradley Beal and we're both motivated to do the same thing. I think James Harden towards the end had different motivations, right? And we clearly saw that over the last year. I wonder how much that influenced things like Russ not being as good as he was this year last season. So there's a bunch of factors, and the, the story to me is very, very interesting. But I think not to, the one thing not to forget about Russ, Russ Westbrook is he's probably what? Top four, top five point guard of all time? And if you consider this era, Matt, is he the best point guard playing right now? Like, he's better than CP3, right? If you stack up everything, uh, if you if you stack up all accolades side by side right now with CP3, is he better than CP3 is? I mean, better is such a vague, amorphous word to, to say who's the better. Pl- I mean, if you had to rank their careers, Russell, if you had to rank their careers, careers. So not who's the better player right now, who's the more impactful player right now. Yeah, across their careers or, from their rookie season to right now, who's had the better career, like, if you had to rank them? I mean, they're, they're both first ballot Hall of Famers. If pressed, I mean, does, does Chris Paul have an MVP season? He does not, does he? He does not. People are talking about him being a, a top 10, maybe even top five finisher this year because of how well the Suns have done. We'll see what the Suns do in the playoffs. Uh, looks like they're pretty much locked into the two seed uh, as they went out and, and Utah lose uh, a bunch of games. But the what's the one knock on CP3? And it's the same knock on Russell Westbrook. Neither has led a team to a title. Russ has gotten as far as the finals a couple of times uh, with Oklahoma City. You know, he he, uh, he lost with KD and Harden uh, the, the first heat year in 2012. Right. Um, CP3 has never even been finals. So they both have that same knock on their resume. Westbrook has an MVP season. CP3 doesn't. But some, some people might argue that the body of work CP3 is better. Like, to me, it's, it's a toss-up. It is. I'm with you, man. Like, and to your same point, I think Russell Westbrook has probably had the better career than CP3, but it depends on how much you weigh factors like CP3 didn't play with guys like James Harden and Kevin Durant and James Harden twice. Well, CP3 did once in Houston, um, but he had Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Those are two different types of all-stars than what Russ played with, right? And throughout Russ's entire career, he's played with a top 10 or 15 player every single season am am i wrong with saying that was there one off year in okc where one guy wasn't there i don't think so Um, paul george was there right after wasn't it his mvp wasn't it his mvp season the season after k left to go to golden state it was just the the russell westbrook show in okc i think that that's what his mvp season was so he's had one season out of his what 11 year career that he's he's had not one all-star next to him like a, a top 15 guy whether it be Paul George uh Bradley Beal KD whoever I think that's the biggest knock I think 
Chris Paul, what he won't get a lot of credit for, and he should get a lot of credit for, is what he's done on the back end of this his career so far. OKC, the amazing run in the bubble that he had, and being able to mentor and develop and show that older guys can do that. And then now the incredible run that he's having with the Suns. I think whatever he does at the end of his career now should get a lot more credit than I think it ultimately will once his career is over. That being said, man, I, I think I'm taking Russ over CP3 right now. That could change if CP3 enters the finals. Right, which I am very, very curious to see how what happens in these Western Conference playoffs. I mean... We might get LeBron versus Steph in a play-in game if they stay at seven and eight right now, Lakers and Warriors. And then what do you want to bet? I was thinking about this earlier today, Jordan. Whoever it is, Memphis or San Antonio, who wins the 9-10, the loser of the 7-8 game, if, if the 7-8 if the is L.A. and Golden State, what do you want to bet that it will be the most lopsided officiated game in the history of the NBA in the favor of the loser of the 7-8 game against the winner of the 9-10 game. Because no offense to San Antonio and no offense to, to Memphis, even though they have John, he's exciting. Whether it's Steph or LeBron playing in the loser's bracket to need to get into the actual playoff bracket, the NBA is not going to let either of those guys lose and miss out on them being in at least the first round of the playoffs. I hear you on that. that I... Like it, it's gonna it's gonna be like the fix will be in. <laughs> Whoever loses the seven eight game, don't worry, NBA officials, we gotcha in the in the game against the winner of nine ten. He's already laying the groundwork down too. Like, hey, I don't know if I'll ever be able to return back to the athleticism I had before this. You know, I might be turning a court. Like he's laying all that foundation. So when he goes off in the finals and gets calls, he'll be like, see, well, maybe I did have it for another right. year or two. Uh, I want to ask <laughs> yeah. you. I want to ask you one more thing before we get out of here, and probably a Bulls-related thing, considering this is a Bulls podcast. Russell Westbrook deserved his due time, um, but it will come off the heels of Russell Westbrook. But first, I want to tell our listeners about our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online, fastest and easiest way to place all your sports bets. MLB is in full swing right now. The NBA and the NHL are wrapping up their seasons over the next day, next week. You can get your playoff action in right now and throughout the entire NBA playoffs and NBA finals. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Make sure to use the promo code locked on. Today's episode is also brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's almost impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why often, uh, why endure often pointless or even intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brands their warehouse happens to carry? You've got a computer with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything you could possibly need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpeting. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. 
good to see our guy Robin Lopez getting some solid minutes with the Wizards too and actually making an impact too. Um, but I wanted to ask you this. Do you know who leads the Bulls in triple doubles in history? Did you look this up first? I should ask you that. Do you Did you look this up before? Have you looked this up recently? I have not looked this up. Who do you think leads the Bulls in triple doubles all time? Man. Not MJ. Um, get, okay, I'm going to ask for a hint. Is it somebody in the last 30 years or somebody back in like the dawn of the Bulls 1966 to the like the, the beginning of MJ? No, it's the last 30 years, and I will tell you this. It's less than 30 total triple-doubles. That's actually not surprising. Uh, the, the Bulls have never had a triple-double machine like that. Oh, man. Mm. I really I really want to say Joaquin, but I know it's not. Um, <laughs> man. Ah. Mm. Not the ball. Kirk. <laughs> that's actually not a that's not a terrible guess. He's in the top ten, although to be in the top ten you just have to have two. <laughs> um you were Yikes. right though. It is MJ, man. It's MJ. He had twenty eight. He had twenty eight in really? his career. Um Scottie Pippen had fifteen, he's number two. Joe Keem oh. is in the top three. Top three. Yeah. He had that's seven. My boy. Tom Bullwinkle um, had yeah. five and Jimmy Butler had four. That's your top five triple doubles of all time in Bulls history. Right. I like Pip seemed like t- too obvious of a guess for whatever reason. And then MJ, like, you know, MJ had that stretch, especially that season where he played point guard for, for a considerable amount of that season. And then he had that stretch where he just reeled off like, you know, eight or nine triple doubles in a row. And everybody was like, oh, MJ can pass. MJ can be a facilitator. Um, but-, but I know that, that that one stretch compromised like 85% of his career triple doubles. Before we get out of here, let me ask you this. For Bulls fans like me who are younger, and you remember the 90s era basketball, it's what you grew up watching, what what was the reaction like the night after somebody did, had a triple-double? Like, it's not the same type of reaction we get now in 2021. It's like, oh, Draymond Green had a triple-double? Awesome. Oh, Jokic had a triple-double again tonight? Oh, okay, cool. It was, right. What was the significance even like 20 years ago for somebody who wasn't it, old enough to watch? It was definitely a much rarer feat. Um and you, you know, I would remember a couple of those nights where, um, you know, MJ would have 30 to 35 and then and then Pip would have a line of like, you know, 18, 12 and 10 or something like that. You're like, wow, like Batman and Robin just like cruising tonight. You know, you got your primo score and then you got your your Swiss Army knife player like Pip who did a little bit of everything. And it, it was special to see those nights where you're like, wow double digits in three different stat categories. It's it's rare. It's the same way I felt about, and this doesn't happen all that much anymore. I mean, heck, we've seen Westbrook do it a couple of times recently, which is insane because he's a guard. But the other thing I loved were nice when Robin would pull down 20-plus rebounds. And you were just like, that, that doesn't happen. I mean, other than a couple of other players who could have nights like that, you know, like in, in that era, Shaq, you know, maybe a couple of others like David Robinson, but 
those were the those were the things that were special. It's like, oh, Pip had a triple double tonight, or Robin pulled down twenty tonight. That's crazy, man. Like, yeah, Shaq is the first one I really remember where you would look at a box score like in the newspaper the night after a playoff game and he would have 25 rebounds. And it's like that is the most absurd right. thing I've ever seen to now, go along with his like 35 points. <laughs> right. And now you got dudes like Clint Capella who are like, nah, I'm going to I'm going to get paid and specialize in rebounding. I'm going to go out there and get 22 a night. And that's just what I'm going to do. That's interesting. I, I always wondered, because I know the reaction's big around the NBA right now for today. It's it's a historic moment, but even 20 years ago, it wasn't as common as it is on a nightly basis now where you're seeing triple doubles all over the league from all a variety of level players. Um, so that's right. interesting. Well, and it's pace of play certainly has something to do with that. Yeah, the three-pointers. The, the MJ era, games were slow. It was half court, and you know, final scores were... 80 to 75. Now you have NBA games where 80 to 75 is the halftime score. There's a lot less defense. People are putting up way more shots because the pace of play is faster. So both teams are putting up more shots. People are insanely efficient with their shooting. So every pass that leads to a made shot in a game where you're taking a zillion more shots than you did in that era, assist numbers are higher on the misses more opportunities for rebounds or rebounds are higher. And of course, obviously points every all stats have just been inflated in this, you know, this trend towards a faster game where each team is getting up 30 more shots than they would on an average night in the nineties. It's a good point. It's cool to see like all the, all the NBA fans out there that complain or just don't watch because they think it's lack of physicality or there isn't any defense anymore. I'm hoping that that Eric slowly starts to come back a little bit to the NBA and enjoy it because I think there's a different type of movement going on right now. It's the bigs who are able to pass and literally do everything like we're seeing it. There's a transformation happening, I think, over the last year or so where now teams are starting to look for other advantages besides just having five three point shooters out there. And let's try to outscore people. Mm -hmm. I hope I hope. Older older generations of NBA fans come back, the ones that were disappointed by seeing scores like 145 to 130, with the guys being able to do everything now and the art of passing coming back. And maybe the art of passing will bring defense back too. Um, that's I mean, my like, hope, I, man. I, I do, and, and I'm not even that old to be like, oh, you know, the good old days, the NBA of the 80s and 90s that was, you know, the, this stupid hand check rule and you, people were actually allowed to play defense. I I do miss some of that. I find myself missing that occasionally, but it's probably a lot to do with nostalgia because the two, well, I guess two of the three, because there were a couple of Bulls teams in the 70s that went as far as the conference finals. Um, so you might say there are three eras of like good Bulls basketball, but so not counting the one from the, like it's the, the dynasty and then the Rose era. Like those are the two good eras that today's Bulls fans think of those Bulls teams. While yes, one of them had Michael Jordan and one of them had Derek Rose, two of the most, you know, highlight real scorers this league has ever seen. Both of those teams were about defense. Both of those teams won because of defense, the Bulls, it was the Johnny Bach Doberman defense of MJ and Pip and Horace. And then, you know, uh, sub out Horace, sub in Rodman for the second three-peat, same thing. And the the Rose Bulls that were really, really good were about Joe Keem and Luol Deng 
and the defense of that team and the defensive system of Tom Thibodeau. That's the reason, along with Rose, that they were the number one seed in the East two years in a row. So for someone like, you know, a Bulls fan who watched both of those eras and saw two Bulls teams that dominated because of dominant defense. Yeah. Sometimes I watch today's NBA and I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's actually 80 to 75 at halftime. Nobody's playing a lick of defense. I will never, ever, ever complain about scoring. The thing I will complain about is the stoppage, man. Like, the stoppages in games, like, because of fouls. That really pisses me off. That's part of the reason why I think I've faded out of college basketball is, like, the last six minutes of games take almost an hour to play out. And it's like, it stops the game. It changes it completely. So, um I'll never complain about the scoring part. I, I get people that want to see 23s chucked up in a game, but as a better, man, I, I couldn't ask for anything better than high-scoring games, a lot of shots being taken. Um, but with that being said, man, anybody out there with questions want to give your evaluation of the Bulls this season? A pretty important week. The Bulls are still technically in it, too. They have a very difficult schedule starting tonight with the Nets. Give us your thoughts, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us at 331-979-1369. We're on Twitter at Jordan C. Valley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line again, 331-979-1369. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. Thanks a lot. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.